Last week, we began our series on Carl Jung and Christianity. I thought it was an important topic to cover because of the profound influence Carl Jung has had on our culture. Anybody like Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars, Joseph Campbell, George Lucas. A lot of our Disney movies are modeled off of what Carl Jung observed to be AA. Carl Jung observed these patterns going on in the human mind, personality. So whether or not you know who Carl Jung is, you've been influenced by him, most likely. Jung was a pastor's kid. Jung took Christianity very seriously. He grew up with it. His grandparents grew up with it. And their grandparents grew up with it. And it was and still is the language of our religious world today. Whether you're an atheist or not. You're an atheist. You don't believe in God because that's a response to theism. So it's a kind of vocabulary in the Judeo-Christian culture that we live in. We're immersed in. So no matter what religion you are, no matter what cultural upbringing you have, Christianity most likely has had some effect on you. And so it's important to talk about it. The Bible itself was written by who? Does anybody know who wrote the Bible? People. People had, did, they, did God grab their hand and forcefully write with their hand? And they said, oh, I don't want to write that. He inspired people. And how did we get the Bible? It starts with dreams and visions. That's where the Bible comes from, from a dream and from visions. The Bible is the written account of people's encounters with God. You know, when they were alive, they didn't have the Bible. Abraham didn't have the Bible. Moses didn't have the Bible. Moses is the one who put together the Bible. It was based off the dreams, the collective dreams, visions, and stories of that people. Moses is the one who put it all together. And those people explored, where do dreams come from? Your mind from your unconscious. When do you have dreams? When you fall asleep. When your ego slips away. So God's visions, God communicates, how? Through dreams, and then we write it down, and what's the Bible translation? The book. We put it in the book. So it's a, it's a story about our inner world. And much of it, doesn't make sense because the rules of that world of the inner world are not the rules of the outer world if I were to tell you that I once experienced time travel you would say uh oh Sean's lost his mind a little bit but if I tell you that in a dream I once was a child and in the same moment then became an adult, you'd say, you, you all know what I'm talking about. The Bible is really a book of dreams and visions that unfortunately has been turned into a clinical religious book which many scholars and priests 
labor over and miss the whole point. We must know that it is primarily a book based on dreams and visions. And these are rooted where? In our psyche. In the mysterious world of our psyche. You ever wake up and have a dream and it bothers you all day? And you, I wonder what it means. <laughs> Carl Jung wrote, We have forgotten the age-old fact that God speaks chiefly through dreams and visions. That is what Carl Jung contributes to Christianity. He pioneered a way of analyzing the Bible as a psychoanalyst analyzes dreams. As one who knows they are dealing with something that's coming out of humans, out of our imaginations, and doesn't view the book, the big book, as just a book of history. If I told you, oh, I could part seas, you'd go, okay. But if I told you, if you said you had a dream about where you parted a sea, wouldn't I say, oh, wow, I wonder what that means. The Bible's filled with dreams. Right from the beginning, here are some of them. In Genesis, Abraham, there he is right there, Abraham. He has a vision, a dream that he would what? Be a dad one day. Because he didn't have any kids. And you know what his wife did? Ha, you're 100 years old. How are you going to have kids? It was a dream. He had the dream that he would be the father of all nations. And one day in Greenwich, Connecticut, people would be sitting around talking about him. I wonder if it came true. In Genesis 20, King Ab Abimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife, into his harem. And God sent him a dream to protect her and have her return to Abraham. In Genesis, who's the big dreamer in Genesis? Joseph, right? Joe's over there. That guy's name is Joe. <laughs> and Joseph has dreams about who and what he might become. And his brothers all got mad at him and said, that's impossible because dreams are always impossible at first. He was, he was such a good dreamer that he actually was valued as an interpreter of dreams. Carl Jung, I've taken two classes on interpreting dreams. Where did dream interpretation start? Right in our Bible. When's the last time you heard a pastor saying, let's interpret your dreams? But that's what the book was founded on. In the book of Samuel, remember Samuel? Samuel, he receives a dream. Remember God was calling out to him. Do you think God's going to call out to us right now? But he might call out to you in a dream. And Samuel knew that it was a dream. Even his, his boss, I think it was Eli, said, yeah, that's a dream. <laughs> and who can forget Solomon's dream? When God said, what do you want above all else? And he said, wisdom. Or remember Daniel? I don't even have to try to convince you that the book of the Bible is a book of dreams and visions. And in the New Testament, Joseph has a dream that says, get the baby Jesus out of here because King Herod wants to get rid of him. And he heads off to Egypt. Remember John the Baptist, the guy that told everybody that Jesus was coming? Zacharias, his dad, had a dream, a vision, that he would have a son named John. Remember Pilate's wife? The Gentile, she had a dream too and told Pilate, don't get involved in this mess. Did she listen? It's interesting to be governor of Rome and to be completely the bad guy in every story. And Jesus is the hero. Then there's Cornelius 
and Peter. Peter had dreams in Acts 10 that speak to what? That dream made the church a more inclusive community. Did it say in the Bible we should be inclusive? No, God spoke through the dream. Paul, remember Paul? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Paul. And what did he have? Jesus showed up to him in person? He never met Jesus, except in his dream. Paul even went, had a vision of heaven. Where? In his dream, in 2 Corinthians 12. The whole book of Revelation, you know why we never talk? When's the last time you heard a sermon on Revelation? Darren might have heard it. Because they don't know how to interpret dreams. So they don't know what it is, what it's talking about. These books in the Bible are based off of dreams and visions that come from within, within the human imagination. Who created the human imagination? And do you know what religion tells us about dreams and visions? So I went, on, I went online to, I said, tell me where all the dreams and visions are in the Bible. And it, it, you know, on this website called gotquestions.org, it listed it all very conveniently for me. And I was convinced, wow, the Bible's a book based on dreams. And then at the end, it says this, our first stop should always be the Bible, not dreams. <laughs> Why do they say that? Because everyone in here has had a dream. And dreams are your own direct experience with the unconscious, with the inner world. God is right here. You just have to fall asleep. God is in the unconscious, in the inner world, where Jesus says in Luke 17, the kingdom of heaven exists inside of a building, inside of you, within your psyche, within your mind. When you pray, what do you do? You close your eyes to the conscious world. And where do you look? Within. What religion tries to do, and I love religion, I work for them, is they try to discredit our personal dreams as if they were some lesser form of divine communication. That is a man-made rule. It is scary. Religion is trying to protect you. Remember, it's a security blanket. It's trying to protect you from what you don't understand. But this has the unfortunate side effect of making it seem like God can't speak directly to you and your own experience. What did Abraham have before the Bible? What did Moses have before the law? What did Jesus that have that gave him the right to challenge his religion? They had their dreams and their visions which are mysterious and sometimes hard things to understand because they're filled with symbols and bizarre realities. Carl Jung, he figured out a system, a pretty reliable system, on how to interpret dreams, just like they did in the Bible, just like they interpreted dreams in the Bible, and how they might be speaking to us. So, we must view the Bible as a book of dreams and visions that took place at a certain time among a certain people. It comes out of their collective experience, out of their collective imagination. Do you know God is still speaking today? That's the United Church of Christ motto. 
It says, don't put a period where there's a comma. God is still speaking in our dreams and visions. And Carl Jung observed this and approached the Bible as he would dream analysis. How else would it make sense? How else would the Bible make sense? Who was there in Genesis to record the story of Adam and Eve? Was Moses? How could God create the world? I remember Grandpa George said, how could God create the world in seven days? These are not things we can accept as valid unless we view them as dreams and visions. And the Bible is one particular vision, one collective shared experience. Do you know America was a, before it was a country, it was a dream. Before we had a big civil rights movement, what did Martin Luther King start it as? A dream, a vision. And people started to believe and have faith in that vision. And guess what happened? It came true. It's still coming true. Still work to do. Today we're going to look at one of the books of the Bible and not view it as a literal story. We're going to view it as a dream, a vision, a, 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 an, a, an imagination, something, a, a vision, trying to communicate something to us. Just as Carl Jung looked at it, not as a fact-based story. Many scholars today will tell you it's not likely an event that actually happened. It's a collective story that answers a big question about God. We all likely know the story of Job in some way. It is told like a real event, but again, I told you, let's look at it like a dream or a vision and analyze it. I see patients, get on the couch, Job, let's talk about this, okay? <laughs> it's an ancient memory. And what other type of genre would you believe me if I said, this guy, this antagonist named Satan goes before God and says there's this really good guy named Job, and I want to put him to the test. Does that sound good, God? And God says yes. I would only believe that if, you, if it was an actual dream or a vision, not if it was a real story. <laughs> See, the big question that gave people nightmares back then was this. How and why did bad things happen to good people? Why do the righteous suffer? Isn't God for the righteous and against the evil? The prophet Jeremiah sums up the book of Job so well. It says in Jeremiah chapter 12 this, Righteous are you, Adonai. That means Lord. When I plead my case with you, you're righteous, God. But I want to speak to you about something called justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? You planted them. It was you, O oh God. You put them in the garden. And they've taken root. And everything you touch grows. So even this evil is growing. They talk about you in church. But they're far from you in their mind. Why does God plant evil in the world? Anybody ever experience evil? Unfairness, injustice, yeah. If I, if I had eight hands, I'd raise them up. It starts right away in the Bible. Hey, let's put the tree of life in the garden right in the middle. Oh, and the, the tree of temptation as well. 
The story of Job is, again, a dream that comes out of the Hebrew people's imagination. They're wondering. It was an issue they wrestled with. I've told you this. Israel means wrestle, to contend with. I want to understand you, God. We've read the story of Job, but you know why people don't read the Bible anymore today? Because they don't understand what, what they're reading. So you have permission not to read it, but not after today. See, Job is a good man. That's the picture we get of him. Not like, oh, he has a secret in the, in the closet. He was the epitome of a righteous person. He's a successful Greenwich type. Life is good. He goes to church, maybe second congregational. He has a hedge fund. It's performing well. But Satan says to God, he only goes to church and he's only good because that hedge fund has a 20% return. That's, yeah, we know people like that. <laughs> Let's see what happens if we take it all away. And God, I, God a good parent wouldn't allow this. So we're going to go along with it. God says, okay, Satan, which in Hebrew means the opposition. Satan just means I want to oppose what's being said here. So Satan goes to work and he's good at his job. Job loses his fortune, he loses his family, he starts to lose his health, he loses everything, and he couldn't get it. What's going on? Is this temporary? COVID should have only lasted 2020, right? Job started, ask, started to ask questions. Why me, oh God? I've been a good guy. His questions represented the Israelites' collective question about God and life. His question was the one that kept him up at night. At the end of the story, Job hangs in there, and so he eventually gets a new family, a new fortune. See, just like a good story, a happy ending. And his health is restored. I have some questions. Too bad for his family, right? What about them? <laughs> and what about his workers? They all lost his job, their jobs. He loses everything, but in the end, he gets everything back times two. God never gives Job a direct answer as to why God allowed this to happen to him. But remember, the story, every story is meant, has a moral, has a teaching in it. And Young offers us an interpretation that God in all his wisdom, now I'm going to, this is a big jump for people, that God in all his wisdom does not know something do you know God doesn't know something? At the time, he did not know something. God does not know what it's like to be a human being. It's true that God is so big, so omnipotent, so omnipresent, so omniscient, that God doesn't understand what it is like to be a mere mortal. God doesn't have to pay taxes. He doesn't go to funerals. He never lost anybody. See, what Young introduces us to is a new way of looking at God. That while God is vast and infinite, God does not know what it's like to be small and finite. He does not know what it's like to live life and death. 
He never has any worries. It says, don't worry. Okay, God. Nice. Good for you. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried that you're not worried. God never experienced worry and anxiety, fear and uncertainty. How could God? He's God. What Young proposes is that Job is the precursor to Jesus. That in the dreams of Israel, their vision of God had failed to address this issue. Yes, God sits on the throne, worship him, bow down, obey. But what's it like when you're off the throne? Buddhism has a similar story. And in our collective unconscious, in our religious upbringing, we never had this question answered. Our religious institutions kind of fail in the ability to dream up an answer for this question. But Jung wrestled to understand what the answer to this question might be and how is it that we can understand the meaning of Job's story. Jung interpreted the story not as something that human beings might be wrestling with, but the other way around. Something that God also would have to wrestle with. How could he understand? How could God know what it was to become a human being and live righteously, even with a God who often seemed so distant? How could God be tempted and tried and still be faithful? He's God. How could he go through it? How could you tempt God? He would laugh at you. How could God know what it's like to be rejected, despised, and forsaken, even by God himself? Job's story, this dream, this vision of a human wrestling with the mysterious ways in which God works introduces hundreds, if not thousands of years before Christ, it introduces the idea of why would God would have to come down himself, get off the throne, why he'd have to lower himself to a servant and become what? A human being. In order for God to understand, he'd have to become a human being. Remember when Superman, I think it was with Richard Pryor, gives up his powers? He says, I just want to be normal. He's like, oh, I need to get back to the Crystal Palace. <laughs> the book of Job introduces the idea that if God would ever truly learn to have a real sense of what it is to be a father, you know, they called him Adonai. They called him Lord. They called him Master. They called him God, but Jesus called him by something else. Father, Abba. If God was ever going to learn to have real compassion and learn what it is to be a father of creation, he would have to come down himself and become a human being and experience what you and I experience. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 verse 4 tells us exactly how it's going to happen before it happens. It's like a sneak peek to, sneak peek to the movie. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and will call him... Does it say Jesus? It doesn't say Jesus in the Old Testament. It says Emmanuel. El in Hebrew means God. And the, the prefix is with us. It means God is with us. And it is the person of Jesus 
who first came out of a story, right? Before Jesus came, they were talking about Jesus. He comes first in a dream, in a vision. And here's what the vision is. That God would be the Job. That God would learn exactly what Job learned. And the story of Job tells us the story of Jesus before it happens. God who had it all. God who loses it all. And God who dies and is born all over again. The God who is distant, the God of the Old Testament, dead and buried. And a new one, raised from the dead. One who's near us. One who knows our experiences. Who has dreams and nightmares himself. Comes down to die. Remember what he said on the cross? Where did you go, God? Just like Job. God now knows what this experience is like. And he treats us with a whole lot. Remember he used to use the law against us? Just be good. Just do the right thing. That's how I treated my first kids. (laughs) Now I know they don't listen. And my mom said, I didn't listen either. Well, I was the good one, right, mom? (laughs) See, God knows now what it's like to be one of us. And that's how somebody gets compassion and grace and mercy. No more rules. God would never treat us like the way he did Job after Jesus came. So next week, I got to tease us with something, right? Next week, we're going to learn how Jesus rewrites the story, how his life becomes the archetype for a shift. For a shift. You know, Jesus was not a Christian. He was Jewish. How Jesus shifted Judaism into what we believe today. And how we can understand God and learn how that dream thousands of years ago will manifest and can manifest in each person here's everyday life.